Let's take our Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. Now, we're going to Matthew chapter 12 in a little bit, but we're going to start uh, tonight. We're going to study and see how far it goes. We have been in the book of Proverbs, and we are not forsaking Proverbs. But as we went to Proverbs last week, we saw one of the main themes is the, the path or the way, the habits, the trail that someone can be on. A, a, a good man is on a path of uprightness, and a wicked man is on the path of evil, someone who pulls away and is crooked in his paths. And so with that thought, we were reminded of the fact that God has us on a path, a way, and he is going to uh, take us at the end of this trail, as the song said, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be with Jesus Christ, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. So we have an opportunity to live with God, not just stay out of hell, but to be in God's presence and in God's family. And the Lord says that we will be in Christ, that we are in Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. We're going to know the very purpose for which we have been redeemed. And I am looking forward to that day. You know, sometimes though at church, it can be kind of like, you know, I've been bored so many times in church. I can't even tell you how many times, even as some of you are tonight. I understand the concept. I've been there. You know why sometimes? Because it feels like the purpose of church is to come to a building and be, and, and be tortured for three hours by a pastor. Maybe not three, maybe just two hours. We'll see. And, and, and you, you, you got to put the time in, because if you don't go there and listen to the monologue, and I mean monotone monologue, then you're not really a good Christian. Well, the truth is, uh, I would agree with that. You need to come to church. You need to assemble with other believers. It's an important part of being a Christian. That's just a fact. Uh, you cannot be a lone ranger, intentional lone ranger Christian. There is nothing like that in the New Testament. There are no intentional lone rangers in the New Testament. There are some people who are put in jail and separated, isolated. But uh, when they get out, what do they do? They come back and assemble with the believers. It's always God's desire to pull people together. However, coming to church is not just about being in church. It's almost as if sometimes we get this idea that I'm on the basketball team and our goal is to go into the locker room and listen to the, to the coach as he tells us what we need to do. Well, of course you should go in the locker room. Of course you should come to practice. But the whole idea of being on the team is to play the game. And what is the game? The game for a New Testament believer is to see people saved, baptized, and discipled. That's the whole game. It's to glorify the Son of God by multiplying sons of God in this earth. And so that's why we've adopted uh, as a church the theme, glorifying Jesus Christ by multiplying disciples. Not getting people to say a prayer, not one, two, three, repeat after me, not just dunking people under the water quick so we can make marks on a, on a chart. No. Although prayer is involved and seeing people baptized is involved in that, but our desire is to see people 
have their, have their minds and hearts and very habits in their life conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is why we're here. So the whole purpose is not just come to church, and you need to come to church. Why? So that you can fulfill the purpose for which God saved you, and that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ and help other people bring glory to Jesus Christ. So when we look at, the, at, at this idea, the theme that we're going into next year uh, for our church is called One Step Closer. Not one step closer to getting saved or being born again. No, one step closer to being conformed to the image of Christ. I want to look today on this earth as much like my glorified self will be when I get to heaven. We're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. And the Lord tells us in Philippians chapter 3, we have an opportunity that we are going to be changed to be like unto his glorious body. But right now, we are being conformed. We live our lives daily, dying to our flesh, but alive unto Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, when you study the Bible, there are different themes that people will bring out. One of the main themes that people will use in studying the Bible is the theme of redemption. And the idea is that the Bible is about God redeeming man. And that certainly is a theme of the Bible. The idea of an innocent substitute dying for the guilty in order to affect redemption for the guilty party. The innocent dies for the guilty so that the guilty can be called innocent. The theme of redemption. The scarlet thread that runs through the Bible, some have called it. And that is certainly there. There are all kinds of figures of redemption found in the scripture. You have Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, God gave them what? Coats of skins to cover them. There is an innocent animal dying to somehow assuage their guilt to be their substitute. Here's the substitute animal that's killed. His blood is shed so that Adam and Eve can be covered. It's a type, of course, of the covering that God looked at those sins and they were covered until the cross. Noah, when he came out of the ark, what did he do? He offered sacrifices, substitute. Abraham, he offered Isaac, a substitute. Here we find the son Dying as a substitute. It's a type of Jesus Christ. And of course, Isaac was not killed. Who died? What died? The ram. The ram that was caught in the thicket. Again, an innocent substitute dies. You go even further into the book of Genesis, you find Judah. And you find in Judah, even in Judah, even in the sin of adultery, you find here he goes in and commits adultery with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. But even in that, it's interesting, you find Zerah, his firstborn, comes out and they tie a scarlet thread, remember, on the ankle. It's a type of the guilt of the sinner. But then Perez comes out, and Perez is the secondborn. The first one has that scarlet thread of guilt, but the second one does not. Why? It's a type of the second birth. The line of Christ comes through Pharaoh. So you see that even in a dark and twisted story. By the way, that's pretty much all, that, all the humans that God has to work with. Those that are dark and twisted. Some are dark and twisted in religion. And they don't even need God or want God. But, but, but the Lord said he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then we have Rahab, another, another problem, another dark story. 
Rahab, what does she do? She hangs literally a scarlet thread out her window and her house is spared. Just like the houses that had the blood on the doorposts in, in Egypt. And that, uh, that continues the story of the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb is the innocent dying for the guilty. For each house, every household in Israel had that. Moses instituted then after the Passover and after the crossing of the Red Sea, he institutes the sacrificial system. And every year Israel is required, nationally and individually, to offer sacrifices. You have John the Baptist fast forward down those hundreds and thousands of years. And what did John the Baptist say? He continues that theme. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And Christ himself, Christ is presented as the Lamb. And what does he wear? The Bible says they put on him a scarlet robe. When he stood before uh, Israel and he was offered, he bore the sins of Israel and the sins of all mankind. And so that theme is certainly there. The Son of God redeeming mankind with his blood. But I want you to, I want you to think about this here in Matthew chapter 12. And I want to show you the actual theme of the Bible. Matthew chapter 12, and look at verse 34. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever is on your heart is what you will speak about most often. If you were to apply that to God himself you would be able to see what is most important to God. Now, you see, redemption is most important to me. Why? Because I'm a sinner. But God is holy and righteous. What's most important to God? Well, if we were to just look at the abundance of the heart speaking, how much God speaks, what does he talk about in the Bible? I want you to think about this. Out of 66 books you have 17 in the Old Testament, 5 in the New Testament. They deal with earthly history. The story of mankind. That's a third of the Bible. And that doesn't even include the writings of the prophets. You have six books, 1 Samuel all the way to 2 Chronicles, that talk about nothing but the king of Israel. Over and over and over again is mentioned. You have two whole Bible books that are called kings. In fact, if you look at 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll see that it, all, it says under there, otherwise called, 1 Samuel, otherwise called the first book of the kings. 2 Samuel, otherwise called the second book of the kings. 1 Kings, otherwise called the third book of the kings. 2 Kings, otherwise called the fourth book of the kings. You have four books of kings in the Old Testament. Several books were written by a king. Solomon or David. Most of the Psalms were written by David the king. So when we look at this over and over and over again, we find that the mentions of king and kingdoms and kings is overwhelmingly the emphasis that God puts. Brother Jim Alter says repetition is God's volume control. So I want you to think about this. You see, you see we, we approach the Bible as if it's about what I want from God. The Bible is actually what God wants for me. And, and what does God want for me to do? He, he wants me to be saved. He wants me to be redeemed from my sin. But do you think that God in heaven 
has one thing on my mind. I just want to make that individual Christian's life wonderful for all eternity. Well, of course he does. Of course he does. That's our good God. But is that the reason that he exists? The reason that God exists is for me. You see how we can easily get it twisted? God, of course, loves me and cares for me and wants me to be happy. We know that. But you know, God, most of all, wants me to be holy. See, when we start getting closer to what God wants, then we start thinking about why I'm actually on this earth. Revelation 4.11 says we're here, we're created for his pleasure. You know why sometimes we're so miserable? Because we think we're here to make our lives happy. I've got to pull the strings in my life. I've got to get it the right money. I've got to get the right stuff in my house. I've got to get the right schedule. I've got to get the right mind, zen control so that I can actually live with joy. You're trying to come up with a purpose and you didn't create yourself. So it's like a vacuum trying to figure out how to operate itself. You've got to go back to the manufacturer. There's got to be an operator. The reason God put you on this earth is to bring glory to him. What does he want in your life? What does he want? Listen to this. The word king is mentioned 2,256 times. Kingdom, 342. Kings, 329. King, apostrophe S, 284. Kingdoms, 57. Kings, plural apostrophe, 5. And kingly, 1. Did you see that? That's, that's over 33,000 and some mentions of the word king. You say, well, well, that's not really, hold on a second. If it's true that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, then what God is really interested in is a kingdom. A kingdom. What kind of kingdom? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, contrast that with the word salvation. It's mentioned 164 times. Contrast that with the word faith, mentioned 247 times. How about the word church? 80 times. Churches, plural, mentioned 37 times. You know the word Christian is mentioned three times in the Bible. Three times. You see, I think we think because we are in the church age, this is all God ever intended to do. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying you're not important. I'm saying, of course, you're important, just like all the other billions of people on the planet. God has a plan, and it's not based on one person that is a, that is a human fallen human being like us. His plan is actually based on the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to see his son glorified in the universe. That's why he created us, to bring glory to himself. You see, we think we're here because God wanted to glorify us. And that's why we get upset when we're not glorified. When we don't get the promotion. When people don't say, man, you're such a blessing. I wonder sometimes if I'm actually a blessing. No one has said they like. You know, sometimes the, the, my own little old nature, kids, no one said my message was a blessing. No one said a thing except my wife. She said, boy, that was long. <laughs> right? Man, if you didn't get, hey, bad press is better than no press whatsoever. But you know, I have to recognize this. God did not put me on this earth so that people glorify me. He put me on this earth so that I would glorify him. Specifically, his son, Jesus Christ. 
You know, when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says in Revelation 19, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, Pastor of Pastors and Shepherd of Shepherds. Is that what it says? What does it say? King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The issue is that God desires to be in control. And he offers you an opportunity, and me, uh, uh, the opportunity to willingly choose him as king and Lord. But there's coming a day when that choice is completely removed. God gives us as believers an opportunity to choose to praise him and glorify him with our lives. You know why we're living under a bureau, discouraged, depressed, always full of anxiety? I can tell you why. Because we are living to please ourselves. You see, you can be happy even when you have been beaten and thrown in jail at midnight in a foreign country. You can be happy. I'll prove it to you. In Acts chapter 16, that's what, that's what happened to Paul and Silas. How? They glorified God and sang praises. They, they were happy. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of God. You know, there's a lot of players today that are sore. And uh, some of them have major injuries. You're watching any football yesterday. There's some people that are feeling it today, big time. Ice baths. I mean, they're going to, the, to, to their physicians. They're trying to get, you know, some of them are lost on top of that. Man, how miserable is that? Hey, West Virginia pulled it out last minute and a half. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. All God's people said. Okay, no one cares. But, but you know, when you're, when you're actual, uh, 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 an athlete who focuses and lives his life or her life for winning that game, it doesn't bother you to suffer after the fact. You actually go into it knowing that you're going to suffer. But it's okay. Why? You're looking for the glory. You're looking for the glory of that team. Any good player on a team is not looking for personal glory. He's looking for the glory of the team. The difference is you and I, we're not looking for just the glory of the church. Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages. We're looking as a group to bring glory to our captain. And it's okay if we suffer. It's not a big deal. Why? We're not looking for our own glory. We want to glorify him. The Bible says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And what's the next word? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase, this is Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government, the Bible says, and peace, there shall be no end. In our country, it's the increase of the government, there is no end. But there's no peace. When Jesus is in charge of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne, listen to this, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, not the Republican or Democrat party, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, not, not our voting system, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know what that means? The Lord has an interest in government. His government, and he's going to set it up, and it's going to expand and expand and expand and expand throughout the universe. Of the increase of his government, there should be no end. That means it's just going to keep going and going and going and going. And you and I as believers, that theme is supposed to be the theme of our lives. We are supposed to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
So the Lord, his government should be increasing in my daily life. He should have more governance over what I look at, what I think about, where I go, who I talk with. His government continues to grow as a believer in my life. God wants a structured, ordered relationship of love in an ordered universe. We read this morning, let us make man in our own image, God said, and let them have what? Dominion. Dominion is a word that God uses often in the Bible. Here's the thing. I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter 28. God desires to have a kingdom on this earth that is ruled in righteousness. He originally allowed Lucifer some form of rulership. The Bible indicates that Lucifer was the anointed cherub. I want you to go to Ezekiel 28. And he was the ruler of this earth. He had a kingdom that was full of beauty and riches. Look at chapter 28, verse 13. Here is speaking through the king of Tyrus, going directly through the king of Tyrus to Lucifer. He said, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Scripture seems to indicate there's a mountain. there was a mountain in the Garden of Eden and Lucifer somehow was running the show from up there on that mountain. Thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. He said he was on the holy mountain of God. Did you, did you notice the kind of things that were his covering, every precious stone? You know what that almost looks like? Hold your place there. Uh, well, actually, you don't have to hold your place. I do, yes. I want you to hold your place, sorry. Ezekiel 28, look at Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Here we have the creation of the breastplate of the high priest. Verse 15, 28, 15 of Exodus. Thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. Look at verse number 17. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, topaz, carbuncle. The second row shall be an emerald, sapphire, diamond. Third, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. Fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. You realize in verse 19, that's the only one that's not mentioned over there. Those three are the ones that are not mentioned in Ezekiel 28. These are literally, these stones are on a breastplate that the high priest wears. What's a high priest? Representative of God. A spiritual, if you will, spiritual ruler in Israel. Not the physical, the spiritual one. Here you have Lucifer and the high priest wearing the same stones. What's going on? God intentionally put Lucifer as a ruler of this earth. There he is. Remember what he said where Lucifer was? He was on the holy, what? The holy mountain of God. Okay, now look down in verse number 
uh, 21, it says, The stone shall be with the names of the children of Israel, 12. Now, I don't know exactly, but we know that there are at least, <laughs> there are several different kinds of angels. The scripture seems to indicate that as, as the names of the children of Israel are, the different tribes of Israelites, Lucifer is bearing the names of the different tribes of angels. All right, principalities, powers, rulers, darkness of this world, so forth, spiritual wickedness in high places. You can go down through, you can, you can actually find, if you want, number them according to the number of stones found in Ezekiel 28. So what's the point of that? The, the theme is this, heaven and earth are essentially one. That's the theme you find in pagan literature over and over again, that heaven and earth were one. Back, way, way back in the darkness, the gloomy clouds of ancient civilization, heaven and earth were actually one. And then something happened and they got split up. Well, that seems to be what happened in Scripture. That now heaven and earth are separate. And you find that's why you have two different rulers in the nation of Israel. You have the king and you have the priest. Why? One person could not be trusted with both of those. God separated them. Lucifer had it, and he lost it. I want you to think about this now. Look at verse 29. Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the what? The holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. There's something about the presence of God, the holiness of God. Ezekiel talks about the holy mountain of God. And this ruler is to be a representative of God, and he is interacting with all of these people that he represents. Works with Lucifer, it's what happened in Ezekiel, and then it also is what happens in Israel. But what happened to Lucifer? Well, he rebelled. Exactly where he rebelled and when, we don't really know. But somehow there was judgment, judgment on the earth. And Lucifer lost that anointed cherub position. Now, often we turn to places like Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12, but that has not happened yet. But we can see maybe a glimpse. If you take your Bibles to Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, you say, what's, what's the big deal? Listen, who was president in 1960? Who was president in 1980? Who was president in 2000? It's interesting. We think, well, that's real history. But this, you know, the Bible stuff, that's kind of like, I don't know, it's like back in the cloudy fairy tale. No, no, no. As far as God's concerned, that's more important to him than who was president in our country. It really is. And, And the truth of the matter is, it's as important to your Christian life when you realize that we're talking about a real God who has really moved and worked in real history with real people, and he continues to do so now. How does he work? Well, we'll get to that. But first, Lucifer, look at Isaiah chapter 14. Lucifer rebelled, and again, this is future, but you can see a little bit uh, of what must, it must have been like. He says, verse 9, 14, 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Well, there is no hell before the creation of the world. So this is, again, this is not in the past. This is somehow in the future. It stirreth up the dead. There were no, there were no death. There was no death before the fall. All right? So again, this is future. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth that are raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Who? The chief ones? The kings are down there in hell. 
And this is when Lucifer in the future gets sent down there. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven? This is when Lucifer gets kicked out of heaven finally in Revelation chapter 12. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground? Remember, he, his tail grabs the third part of the angels and brings them down and he stamps them according to Daniel. Uh, he stamps on them. Why? He's mad. He fights with Michael. And he gets kicked out. This is coming. But you can see a type, a picture. Something happened to take Lucifer from the anointed chair of the covereth and these stones that represent all these angels and the beauty and glory of God. Now he gets taken down and taken down. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 8 that there's coming a day when he is going to be cast down the sum of the host of the stars and the stars to the ground. In other words, the idea of where do the, the, the you know, third of the angels is actually future. Now, this is not the time to go into all the detail of that, but he, he, he gets mad, he fights, and he's actually able to defeat some of, those, uh, some of the host of God. Look at chapter 13, uh, 14, verse number 13. Here's the reason. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So even after all of the history of God defeating Lucifer over and over again, Lucifer falling short, we find that he continues to have this will. And by the way, if you're not close to God, it's a matter of the will. Okay? In other words, I don't get anything out of the Bible. I read it and it's boring. Something wrong with your will. Because, see, it's not a matter of what you get out of the Bible. It's what God gets out of you. And when you humble yourself to God and say, God, I'm going to read your book because you told me to read it and because I want to know you, even if you never speak to me again, and by the way, he will, I'm not here to demand and to hold you hostage. I'm simply saying, God, I humble myself. See, if we humble ourselves... Then we resist the devil and he will flee from us. Why? When we don't humble ourselves, the devil's like, that's my boy. That is my boy. I love you, man. He's right there with you. And so humility is so important. It's what got Lucifer in trouble and it's what it's going to get him in trouble with again. Now, Lucifer gets cast down. What happens then? Well, God could have replaced Lucifer with Michael. He could have replaced him with Gabriel. He's... These angels, right? Instead, he bent down on the ground, and the Bible says he took dust, dirt, and he formed man. Almost like Plato. You ever play with Plato? You know, can you imagine God taking lumps of this dirt and rolling it like the legs? Remember the legs? Nice long. All right, I always, whenever I made them, they looked unseemly, they were gangly. You know, like alien creatures. But can you imagine God? And the Bible says he, with his own hand, formed man of the dust of the ground. And then what did he do? God bent over to that Play-Doh and he breathed into it, into the nose. He had made a little nostril out of dirt. And he breathed into the nostril. The breath of God himself. Literally, he breathed the Bible into him. Because the, the word of God is the breath of God. It's the spirit of God. The Bible says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's an amazing connection. God breathed the word into him. 
and man became a living soul. You know what God did? He took a dirt ball and made him king instead of Lucifer. So Lucifer, beautiful, he's got every precious stone, he's musical, and God says, I don't need you. I can take dust out of the ground. By the way, that may be the reason the devil tempted Jesus when he was in the wilderness and said, hey, why don't you uh, make bread out of these stones? I know, I know what God did in the garden. Are you really God? Can you take inorganic matter and, and can you take it and change it and form it? Well, God did that. And when he placed Adam as king, basically Adam the first. Now, over the years, you've had different rulers, Adam the second, as prototypes of Adam. What happens is Adam does the same thing. He sins. And as a result, ever since that sin, man lost his position and man has always searched for the next king. Who's going to rule? Who's going to be in charge? God chooses to rule this world through an agent. I don't know why, but he does. He tried with Lucifer. Lucifer ruined it. He gave Adam a shot, and Adam ruined it. So what has happened? Well, now the Bible says death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We grow up and we die. We grow up and we die. We were never intended to die. That's why people are like, did you hear so-and-so died? What? Why is that a surprise? No one's surprised when you say, did you hear so-and-so turned another birth, you know, just got, had a birthday? <gasps> what? Everybody expects to live. Nobody expects to die. It was never God's intention for people to die. But we do. So what happens is eventually, over time, when God had given mankind a fair opportunity to rule, the Bible says he waited until the fullness of time, and then God became a man. God said, I'm going to rule. I'm going to come down as the son of God and the son of man. All through the Old Testament, you see God working in the lives. But there's always a push, and that even through the prophets. You see the prophets. They, they're right in the middle of the storyline of kings and kingdoms. And they're preaching righteousness. The Old Testament is consumed with this idea of a kingdom. A kingdom that's headed by a righteous man who will run this world for God. And man after man after man fails. And so God sends his son. What is the first thing that John the Baptist says? He says, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. Well, that means God wants me to, to, to get saved and go to church. No, the kingdom of heaven is a political kingdom. It's a physical kingdom. What, what is the first recorded words in the ministry of Jesus Christ? Jesus said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You say, well, is there a, there's a difference. There's, actu there's actually a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And we won't go into it tonight. Maybe we'll do that next time around. But see, God was still intending to build a kingdom on this earth. All right? Now, that will help you a lot when you look at the Bible. Because otherwise, you're like, well, God tried, but it was kind of like this prototype that failed miserably. And so he's like, you know what? I got a better idea. I'm going to do it spiritually. And that way, I can never be proven wrong. Because even though this whole world is not doing what it should be doing, God is still ruling in the hearts of his people. Well, yes, he is. But don't think for a second that he's given up on ruling this physical world. He is definitely going to do it. Why? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
This earth belongs to God. He's been leasing it, so to speak, to the devil, and the devil hasn't been paying. So he's about to get evicted. In the New Testament, we find Jesus comes down and he offers the kingdom to Israel. But here's the problem. Israel, they weren't wrong in expecting a kingdom. They were right in that. But the problem was they wanted the geopolitical kingdom, not the spiritual part of it. See, in the Old Testament, you had the king and you had the priest, right? The king was the geopolitical ruler. The priest was the spiritual ruler. And by the way, do you remember when that one, that one king decided to offer something before God? And what did God do? He struck him with leprosy. He said, it appertaineth not to thee. You're not allowed to offer sacrifices. Why? You're a king. You're over there with the kingdom of heaven. This is the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. And never the twain shall meet. He kept them separate. Okay? So what happens is when Jesus comes, Jesus offers not the physical kingdom first. He offers the spiritual kingdom. You know what he did? He went inside the hearts of men and women, just like Israel uh, or, or the priest was to bear the names of the children of Israel on his heart. Jesus went to the heart. And he said this, You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, If a man look upon a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery already. Where? In his heart. You see, Jesus went to the root of the problem, which is this, the will of man. You know the reason why you struggle with those habits? Because your will is not submitted to God's will. You want to rule and you don't want God to rule. That's why you listen to that music. You know it's wrong. That's why you look at those pictures. You know it's wrong, but you don't care. You want what you want and you don't want God to rule. You say, well, I do. It's just really hard. You do what you want to do. We all do what we want to do. When Jesus came, he offered them what? His interpretation and standard of the law, not theirs. He raised the bar and said, Moses said this, that's right, but I say this. Well, how could God, How he is the word of God. He's the one that developed the standards, the laws of Moses. The Bible says, Moses wrote of me, Jesus said. It's awesome. Okay, so what happens is this is what this is what happens. They think, well, yeah, Jesus, we're like, you're gonna be like, you can say your stuff, but when do we get to eat? Like, yeah, we're into, you know, we'll do right. Okay, we'll do right. But like, do we get anything out of this? And you see that over and over again. What am I gonna get in the kingdom? Hey, we, we, I want to sit right next to your throne when we get into the kingdom. Over and over again, they're thinking physical kingdom. Jesus says, I'm offering you the spiritual kingdom. And by the way, the ones that accepted his spiritual kingdom were who? The disciples. They accepted him. And some of the people that followed. And the Lord said, you are going you, you, you to reign with me. But it's not now. My kingdom is not now. It's coming. Okay? So what happens is this. Israel rejects the Messiah. Why? Because they wouldn't repent. They say, we, we, don't mind, we, we don't mind Moses and all that, but we don't know where this man is from. They lied. They knew where Jesus was from, but they didn't want to f- fall down and worship him. And so they called for his crucifixion. So that kingdom, what happens? Well, Jesus was not accepted by his people. And someone asked me this morning, do you stand with Israel? Do you think they've been rejected? Absolutely, I stand with Israel. I think they have rejected their king, but God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. 
God is going to bring Israel back into this thing. But for the time being, because they stiff-armed Jesus, guess what happens? God actually opens up an opportunity for you and I. How many of you know the Shema? Anybody? Now, listen, you don't have to know it. But every Israelite had to know it. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You had to know that as a, as a Jew. Every Jew knows it. Right? But why don't you know it? Well, I mean, you kind of know it, but that's not the first thing that comes to mind. Why? Because you're a Gentile. Here's what God did. I want you to take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 3. When Israel rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah... God revealed a mystery that had been hidden. Now, let me ask you this question real quick. Are we going too deep for you tonight? Are you hanging in there with me? I'm talking about why we have a church. We don't have a church because we're right. We don't even have a church because we believe the King James Bible is the word of God. That's not why we're a church. And I do believe we're right. And so far as we line up with Scripture, I do believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, but that's not the purpose of this church. The purpose of this church is not even to be good or or even to raise our kids righteously. The purpose of this church is found in Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says unto me, who am, the less, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the, what's the word? Mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid where? In God. This was a mystery that God had in his back pocket from the very beginning of time. Why? He knows mankind. And he knows the stubbornness of someone who are called the chosen people of God. And he said, if I give them that, def- that, that uh, name, that denomination, they are going to be so proud and stiff-necked and stubborn, I have a plan when they reject me. He was ready. And what was it? Which from the beginning of the world has been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places those people that Lucifer used to represent, unto them might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose of God, can you believe this, is supposed to be carried out in this day and time by a bunch of Gentile dogs. You and I. He tried it with Lucifer, Lucifer rebelled. He tried it with Adam, Adam sinned and plunged the whole human race into debauchery. And you know what the Lord said? I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it in this age through a mystery. And I'm going to take these Gentile dogs and I'm going to show the angels what I can do when I rule in the human heart. I don't know. Is that amazing? I... That's like so, that does not make any sense. Doesn't make any sense, but that's what God said. Look look what he says here. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wow. And he said, verse number 16. 
14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit. Where? In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in rules... Is that what it said? No. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, watch it, this is crazy, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. How can a sinner be filled with the fullness of God? That's the mystery. It was a mystery of godliness when he came to this earth and died on a cross and then rose from the dead and now he lives in his people. He lives in his people. And he wants to bring glory. Look what he says. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. God is going to use the church to bring glory to himself throughout all ages. That's amazing. And we get to be a part of it. Why is Hope Baptist Church here? To bring glory to Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. The real Son of God who really lived, who's really alive right now, and who is really coming again and going to take over this world. But until that day, our job is to let him rule in our hearts and spread his love and rule to every person that we possibly can. Phenomenal. You say, well, I'm just not really good at like, really giving out the gospel. I, listen, I, neither am I. But if you have God inside of you, what could you do? I mean, you could do a lot of stuff. If you have, get it, God. I, I, I feel badly that I am such a poor mouthpiece to make his glory known, as a, as a preacher said, because I don't even understand how big this thing is. But I know what it says, that God comes down inside of me. And he wants to do something with me. He wants me to live as if he is king in Toledo. He is my king and I walk around the streets and I bring his kingdom with me. Now, I'm not bringing his physical kingdom. <laughs> and nobody looks at me and says, wow, there's a king right there. No, but his spiritual kingdom. That's what I'm bringing. It's invisible. The kingdom of God is within you. Look at Philippians. One book over. Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're winding up the, 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 uh, the race here. We're almost done. So what God is doing, is he's teaching the angels, both the holy and the unholy angels, a lesson through his church by Christ Jesus. And meanwhile, while we wait for his son, look at verse 15, Philippians 2, 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without, rebu without rebuke, in the commune that you have created to keep yourself isolated from other people that are wicked in this world. In the midst, in the midst, in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He didn't say we were supposed to be crooked. He said we're supposed to be blameless and harmless in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation. Why, oh, this world is getting wicked. Duh. As they used to say in the 80s, doy. <laughs> Guys, it's always been wicked. And if, you're, if your ace is, well, it's worse now than it ever has been, 
You're forgetting about the glory of Jesus Christ. Of course it's wicked. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know that. That's why he has us here. He has us here because it's wicked. He wants people to be saved in this wicked and perverse nation. We're supposed to do what? Shine as lights in the world. Not of the world, in the world. Now, this is not popular. You know why? Most Christians want to just dive under the surface and just wait for Jesus to come and yank us out of here. Why? It hurts to stand up and say, I follow Jesus Christ. People may not think you're wicked cool. People may not look at you and say, I like that guy. Now, honestly, when a person stands up and does what's right, they may not like you at first, but there have been so many testimonies of people that said, I respected that woman. I respected that man. Because even though I didn't like him at first, God worked in my heart, and they showed me what's right, what righteous, the love of God. They showed it to me. You see, he says here, we're supposed to shine as lights in the world. How do we do it? I'm happy to tell you that it's not your winsome smile and your awesome, neat appearance. That can help, but that's not what your testimony is. What is it? He tells us in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. You know what you ought to be praying every day? God, help me to share some piece of the Bible, some verse from the Bible, some little phrase. Help me to share the word of life today in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation. You can put it on your car as a bumper sticker. You can put it on your shirt. You can put it on your desk as a little sign. You can put it on your wall. You can put it on your Facebook posts, amen. Imagine posting the Bible. These are the things, this is the only tool that we have, the word of life. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You say, man, you're wound up tonight. Absolutely. Why? I hate boring church. I'm honestly, I cannot stand it. I can't stand the idea that we're supposed to just live, you know, just helping one another. Just here's a piece of crust of our bread that I found. Let me help you out. Listen, there's time to comfort. There's time to be a blessing and to pray and to be with. But you realize we have an opportunity to shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in this dark world. We have an opportunity to see people saved. Look what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Where? In light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And First Peter tells us, you're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the church is this mysterious plan of God to infiltrate the devil's enemy territory and to call people out of it into light. To rescue people who have been blinded by Satan and their own lusts and sin and bring them out into the light so that they can bring glory to the Son of God. No longer in bondage to Lucifer, the cast out, demoted, 
cherub that ruined everything and destroyed his own rule and seeks to destroy the rule of God. No, no. We can be pulled out of that wicked, nasty, dark, twisted kingdom into the glorious liberty of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to do in your life and mine every single day. One step closer. What? One step closer to where we'll all be with Jesus Christ, where he is seated on the throne of the universe, and we are surrounding him saying, worship and honor and glory and blessing and praise and thanksgiving be unto our God and to our King forever and ever. We'll be worshiping him for eternity. Hey, it's not going to be, I like Jesus, I think he's kind of cool, you know, thumbs up. No, it's going to be down on our knees. It's going to be hands and feet prostrate before the great king of the universe. Not like they do in, 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 you know, when somebody scores a touchdown. No, it's going to be actual. Why? Because they didn't just score a touchdown. They fixed everything. They fixed sin. They fixed death. They fixed hell. They fixed the grave. And they did it with broken pieces of pottery. He did it working not around mankind, but through wicked mankind. He came and redeemed himself, and he redeemed us to himself, and he lifts us up and seats us, Mephibosheth, with broken legs, and he puts our feet under the table, and he says, you're my son. I want you to live with me forever. We don't have the, we don't have the ability to earn that right. You've never been good enough to be called to the king's house, but Jesus Christ left the king's house. To come down into the slums where we lived. And he brought us out. And the Lord says, now we're going to have a time for eternity. It's going to be awesome. But until that day, what I need you to do is to look like me and act like me, but go back to the slums because there's more people that I want to bring out. That's where we come in. You know what we do sometimes? We say, well, I remember when I used to be excited about that. Oh, let's see, when's the game? Why? We, we, our old nature just, it gets caught up. Christian, let me remind you, you're not just that old nature that's worried about your money, worried about your food, worried about your sleep and your sex. That, that's not the only thing that, listen, Christians have those things, but we have so much more than that. We have the kingdom of the Son of God that we have been made a part of, and we have an opportunity to shine even in the darkness of 21st century America. Our goal at Hope Baptist Church is to glorify Jesus by multiplying disciples, to persuade believers of the truth of God's purposes in Jesus Christ, as revealed in the Bible, so that by the work of the Holy Spirit, they will abandon their lives to the service of Christ in holiness on a daily basis, and even holiness in their decision-making. That they will pray constantly for the fruitfulness and the growth of the gospel of Jesus, and that they will speak the living words of God whenever and however they can, in the home, in the world, and in the church. What a privilege it is to be translated into his kingdom. And church, I want to encourage you. That's the theme of the Bible. The universe worshiping the Son of God, the King of kings. Now let's bow our heads in prayer.